there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello, welcome to Your Politics, the RTE Politics team. Weekly take on what's been happening here in Leinster House with me, uh, Paul Cunningham and Micheál Lehan, and also Juliet Gash is going to be along in a minute uh, to talk all things. Uh, she's going to be talking about uh, media Minister Catherine Martin's appearance at the Media Committee uh, talking about RTE. But we're going to talk with, talk about really the story of the week where is it B-Day minus five? Isn't that? That's but it. It's tick-tock, tick-tock. We're counting down to budget 2024, which confused me as a child as I couldn't understand. Did they get it wrong? Was there a mistake? <laughs> but um, budget 2024. Still doesn't confuse you, though. It's all that matters now. <laughs> And so the analogy we've been using, or the example, the idea is that um, the finance minister, Michael McGrath, has been very reluctant to put down his train tracks on which budget 2024 is going to travel. And therefore, we know the broad parameters mm -hmm. of what might be in it, but we don't know the details. And five days out, usually you'd know a little bit more than that. What do you think? Michael? Yeah, in a sense that Michael McGrath did two weeks ago talk about, you know, tempering expectations. He's achieved that, as has Pascal Donoghue. Pascal Donoghue has always been trying to achieve that anyway, so between them. But equally, that has been so successful. There's a suspicion, I think, across many government departments that, yes, there is extra money there. Yes, there are those ESRI warnings. There is the fact that there is the health overrun. But equally, I think there's a realisation, too, that the coffers are healthy enough, even if the long-term projections are looking a little less healthy now. So for all those reasons, it's it's there's a sense that some government departments who maybe in the past would agree their spending plan quite early would have it done at this point that even they haven't had done now. So things, this time it looks, even though we never know are we being sold a pup on this, but this time it does look like the negotiations do in earnest make their way through the weekend and perhaps into Monday. Social protection, thats has that been sorted earlier than some other departments or, or what's the story there? We, I don't think so. I mean, uh, there is on the key rate that the core social welfare payments as well, there is that idea being floated fairly consistently that it's €12. Euro. You will meet a lot on the government backbenches to hope that it's beyond that, uh, but equally a realisation that perhaps 12 is where it's at. Government will have looked, I think, to what Sinn Féin and others were, offer, were talking about and their alternatives there, yeah. uh, and it varies. Uh, Sinn Féin in relation to work Working age payments are talking about 15 euro, pensioners 15 euro too, but only if you're living alone, it's 10 euro if you're not. That's a surprise that it could be below what the government's offering if that 12 euro figure is accurate. The Social Democrats were talking about a 25 euro across the board uh, welfare hike and Labour then something slightly different. 15 euro, isn't it, to the end yes. of the year and then 27.50 phased in. Over three uh, stages. Over three stages next year. Yeah. And I mean, how do all the parties, and, and, and in terms of what we know of the government's options or hopes or plans, uh, how, how, what are all the options in terms of paying for that with taxes well, or not? Well, the first thing which is interesting about, uh, about this, another feature of this particular budget, it isn't just that we don't know where things are going. I'm sorry, there's a roundabout answer to your question. But also the fact that there doesn't seem to be much tension. We're not no. hearing of, you know, Minister Juliet Gash is under incredible pressure on her budget, but she's going in and kicking down the door and making demands. It seems to be a little bit loose. And I think that that underlines and um, what Behal has been saying is that it isn't tense because the cash is there and therefore you don't have the same mm -hmm. sort of hullabaloo going on. 
Um, and so we're just slowly making our way forward. Um, that's the that seems to be the the way it's going. And, and I think there is a desire within government this time uh, to have some surprises on the day. That hasn't been the case for for a long time now in budgets. But definitely that that desire exists uh, to have the, the showpiece event in the dawn. And of course, the reason for that we suspect is that it's Fianna Fáil's first budget. Uh, in quite some time and it will be a very different yeah. budget to the last one that the party led. And the one last thing is to say is that like, if you're looking at this by ways of European comparison, being countries like Germany don't have these big surprises. You know, a man or woman raising their satchel or their briefcase yeah. saying there's loads of goodies in here because it's worked out methodically over the course of the year and then they roll over and start doing it again. There was a time, wasn't there, when Irish budgets had to be submitted to the to the German parliament in advance yeah. well, that period. <laughs> And the Taoiseach's been telling uh, Fine Gaelers that uh, Fine Gael Parliamentary Party, uh, people will see the impact of the budget in their pockets before Christmas. Which is a nice way of saying something that he's been saying for weeks, which is that yes, there will be some form of energy credit and yes, they are aware of the dangers of the prices at the pumps. And so good words, like a good yeah. line, but we've heard it before. The other side of that is, does that mean that it is a considerably smaller cost of living package and it'll nearly all be paid out before Christmas and there won't be those extra pieces that came yeah. at a fairly large scale last year, early in the new year. Uh, we can expect to be hearing about a wealth tax, can we? Where do uh, the left stand on? Where does Sinn Féin stand on that? Well, the, we, we, it was interesting. It, at the start of the week, it was Jed Nash who was first asked about it on the plinth and he discussed it in the context of saying that it was fiendishly difficult to design. And the question was, how are you going to apply it? But by the time it came down to the policy being announced, they were making um, talking about tax increases for anyone earning over €100,000. And that €100,000 cut-off point mirrors what Sinn Féin has been saying as well. There's other interesting things focusing on property. You know, are you going to have, pay a higher, higher level of stamp duty if your house is more than a million euro? So it does seem to be that that's the way they're, they're trying to approach it, trying to shift it from the left point of view. Um, not necessarily Fine Gael policy. Should Fein making the point that up to 140,000 on individuals and the way it would work is that your tax credits uh, would be eroded yeah. uh, w once you get to that point, which, which is a way of doing it, isn't it? And in terms of tax, how much room for manoeuvre is the health overspending leaving for tax cuts or is that a false equation? Is that just a pre-budget story? To I think it is. I think there's a problem in health, isn't there? And is it ever going to be any different? You didn't seem convinced last week that it would change. <laughs> I don't. Well, I don't know. I, I don't think it will. And I think it has managed to kind of create a, a certain story, hasn't it, around yeah. the parameters of the budget. But there's enough there to get by this, this year. So I don't think it changes things. But but it does become a little bit difficult for, for Stephen Donnelly. The scale, the, the figures, I mean, is it is it possibly up to two billion euro? That That's politically awkward, isn't it? Uh, the one area where there does appear to be a bit of tension, and there has been on and off through throughout the year, um, there was a story in The Independent today about transport infrastructure, Ireland warning Eamon Ryan about the lack of investment uh, in roads and the potential impact uh, on road fatalities. We know there was... Um, Unrest in Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael at the fact in particular that the transport budget, the roads budget, was it underspent by 100 million in the first quarter? So there, there does seem to be this kind of tension between the coalition parties yeah. on this one, doesn't there? It does. And it's been something that's been mentioned at party political, uh, sorry, parliamentary party meetings, demands that Eamon Ryan come in and answer these questions. But it's also happening at cabinet as well, where there's been sort of pressure to deliver um, and 
Minister Eamon Ryan pushing back, talking about the question of prioritisation and how are you going to do it. Always difficult for a, a, a Green Party leader and climate campaigner to be Minister for Roads and delivering hundreds of millions in relation to roads. An awkward one. Um, and that was always going to be a source of tension, continues to be. No great surprise on it. Okay. The has gone several ways on that, even today. Spe- speaking Granada, like he says, I do support more funding for roads. I should be clear on that, but we also need to make sure we have adequate funding for public transport. We saw that on the day as well. Do you remember the big radical idea for more trains and more train tracks across the island of Ireland last summer, uh, where the Taoiseach speaking uh, wasn't quite convinced that it would take huge numbers of people off the roads uh, compared to what Eamon Ryan was saying. In the same part, uh, in the same building, Eamon Ryan speaking outside government buildings that day, Leo Varadkar speaking inside it. It's a kind of one of those fault lines that goes to the core of government and it comes up every now and again and it is the one thing that drives Fine Gael backbenchers in particularly irate. Yeah. But it, it, like it's, it is a problem. I know this is an East Coast problem, but if you happen to live in somewhere like Wicklow Town and you want to get to, say, South Dublin, you're leaving your house at around five past seven, jumping into your car and spending two hours trying to get there sometimes because the trains, there's only two trains and the number of buses are completely over capacity. Indeed, I think the first bus goes as a single decker and then a double decker comes yeah. on in the middle of the day. Like These are issues that need to get sorted. There's a will and an interest in adopting public transport, but we haven't been able to crack it. Um, and you E-bikes. mentioned, you mentioned, oh yes, Labour were talking about that today, weren't they, in their, in their pre-budget submission? Labour were also talking about a climate ticket, they're calling it, which would be a nine euro public transport ticket, which they think would take, you know, tens of thousands of cars off the road in if you're trying to measure that in terms of CO2 emissions, that you'd have fairly unlimited access across public and that's transport. Like they've been talking for nine about this, a month. they've been advancing this now for well over a year. It's one of Ivana Bacic, the leader of the Labour Party's big policies. And it is that. Um, it was being put to her that uh, Germany trialled it for three months and found that people were using it more uh, by ways of tourism rather than the day-to-day stuff. So, Paul, I there. suppose you've been writing about this. Is Sinn Féin moving closer to the centre in its pre-budget submission? Is it trying to woo the middle classes a bit more? What can I you read from I that? I don't think that there was a significant step that you can point to and say, there, ha, look, proof positive. But it was interesting in many of the areas how close they were to government thinking Take, for example, the USC government's going to cut it. Sinn Féin's going to cut it. Now, Pierce Doherty countered this narrative by saying, we've got the Johnny-come-lately coalition, which is catching up with the policy which we've had in place for years. But it isn't just that, you know, giving extra assistance to people, um, rent, uh, cutting childcare costs, mm-hmm. giving more assistance to parents who have kids in third-level education. There was a number of places where you saw, even going back to the core social welfare increases, government maybe talking around 12, maybe the surprise with a bit higher. Sinn Féin talking about 15. Only three euros in the difference. Juliet, uh, let's talk about uh, the appearance of Media Minister Catherine Martin at the Media Committee, which has uh, seen some fairly uh, dramatic uh, questionings of RTE executives and board members in the past. This was the turn of the minister to come in. It's happening at a time when, as I say, the budget's coming up next week. There's also the question of the long-term funding of RTE. So, That's the scene set. What happened at the committee? It it was the turn of of Minister Martin and uh, she was quite relaxed. It was interesting to see her questions so um, in such a lengthy fashion. She was there for almost three hours, I think. Um, And she was clear on what she had to say, but that it's all a little bit down the road. Um, There was anger expressed by Shane Castles, the senator, who was saying that he was very upset that Kevin Backhurst had not brought back his... This is the director general. The director general, that he had not brought back his... um, 
his outline for the strategic review of RTE. This was supposed to come back before Budget Day. It's not happening. Um, So there was anger expressed at that. Catherine Martin said she was disappointed that it wasn't there, but she was expecting it in due course. She is meeting with Mr. Backhurst this week. Mm -hmm. And so she kept coming back to this, you know, things are in train. It was sort of like, be patient, it's going to happen. I mean, she was very cognizant of the fact that trust has been shattered, as she put it, that people are shocked and outraged, aghast, as Matty McGrath put it, at at, at how things had failed, how governance had failed in RTE. But there were some positives, which I suppose was was new (laughs) watching this committee in that she said she felt that um, there was absolute cooperation between the board and between the new director general. And Mm -hmm. she was really um, buoyed by that progress. Um, And she was confident that this strategic uh, review vision um, would give them, I suppose, fodder to to, to look at the funding. But she said she wouldn't commit to anything because she didn't know what the figures were. Uh, And so we're we're going to get a a minimum funding in the budget. Which was the figure that was there anyway, wasn't it? That was pretty much agreed. She spoke about that in July. And then there's got to be this strategic plan and the Mm. TD seemed very keen to know exactly what cost cutting would amount to in that strategic plan because they were going you know is that regional offices is that yeah and and you know each time one of these things was mentioned it was you know well I hope it's not the regional offices because they are important to people especially regional TDs Um, and then there was a question as to whether coverage of say local and European elections you know if RT were going to cut back on that would this be something that would be put out to tender and again and again Catherine Martin sort of said well look this is, I can't answer that yet, essentially. You know, there are several reviews in place. And that line about sanctions, uh, Carol, um, sorry, Imelda Munster brought that up and she was just saying that in Irish public life, we so rarely have any accountability and it's so important that in this case we do. Uh, and it was it was interesting to see her draw parallels between the RTE problems and the fact that in Ireland we're not very good. We we do inquiries, we do investigations, but we don't do accountability. Mm-hmm. And she wants to see that as do others. Yeah, I think it's going to take some months before this clarity. We've got these two external reviews of work practices and culture and all the rest with RTE. So that's going to take us through to March. And they but have they have demanded further information. Documentation. Though, yeah, looking at the establishment of the barter account and then looking taking a first kind of proper look at, at the auditing of that account, both internally and externally. Going so back to 2012, isn't it? 2012 to look for how it was established and were proper rules. Yeah. And then from 2017 to 2022 in relation to the auditing. So if so, we're going to be dealing with the past effectively uh, until March before you can look forward. I thought it was n- notable from what the minister did say and which she was absolutely clear on. She spoke of her absolute determination, those were her words, and, mm-hmm. and of the government, that they were going to crack this nut in relation to the long-term funding of RTE. Well, would be public service broadcasting. Yes, yes. It, and exactly, by extension, wider, and she spoke about the €30 million Euro fund and all the rest of it, but an absolute determination to crack the question of um, licence fee, how it was going to be used, the new method involved, and they were going to, and the line of sight is that when those reviews are concluded and the strategic plan is signed off, at some point in spring, we're going to know, A, the direction in which um, that money will be spent to the direction of RTE in its new um, iteration. And thirdly, how well that's going to be paid. So we, we know what the money would be getting spent on. The question is the decision a government would be making about how to raise that money. And the minister saying that decision will be taken in the first six months of next year. Some Which of is the a little TDs bit later, seemed a little bit sceptical, though, that that yeah. would happen in ele- an election cycle. Yeah, we- 
I suppose, good reason, given what's happened in the past. And I think, too, at the cabinet meeting in Avondale, wasn't there a sense that that particular decision could be taken before the end of the year? So that has now slipped again. Catherine Martin saying that that yeah. technical group that she set up when the Broadcasting Commission report was done, mm. uh, that, that that's ready. That's ready to go to cabinet now, but you can't look at it until you start the interim funding. And on the interim funding, New Era has done its analysis of the RT request. Right. But not published. Not published. Um, let's. Uh, you mentioned the Taoiseach in Granada earlier on, uh, Michal. It's the European Political Association today, so that's kind of leaders from ac- across the continent. Then we've the EU27, the leaders proper uh, tomorrow. Uh, migration, one of the issues that cropped up there, but the Taoiseach saying this European-EU migration deal, uh, we maybe be paying money rather than taking people. Yeah, speaking about Ireland really struggling to find any place for people to live who are coming here. So as a result of that, it seems we'll have to to go another route. Also being asked about what's happening in England and the UK in particular, in particular around that Tory conference, and saying that he's saddened to see uh, the UK, where parliamentary democracy was was founded, uh, becoming more disengaged from, from the world. Course, and this, of course, is the scenes to the Conservative Party conference all week, which have been quite something. Make Britain grow again, according to Liz Truss. Was yeah, it? Stand up and fight. Pretty Patel dancing with uh, Nigel Farage. Nigel yes. But just going back to the EU summit, far more interesting. Um, there was this sense, I think it was political reporting, was that accession talks on Ukraine joining the European yeah. Union was likely to be announced before the end of the year. And that had been a key demand of the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, as well, something which the Irish government was supporting. Um, so just a, a, a biggie. Although I don't know, did anyone see just before I came in on political, uh, the former Commission President Jean-Claude Juncker having a cut at Ukraine and uh, the plans for fast track accession, saying there's a huge problem with corruption, has been for a long time. So it's clearly, you know, and we're going to be hearing a lot, I suspect, Friday and over the weekend uh, from European leaders and uh, keeping that, you know, plan of Ukrainian fast track accession alive. But we've already seen with Polish farmers, there's... A long way to go on that one. You know, once the Polish election, I think it's on this weekend, once the Polish election is over, maybe it won't be as hot an issue. And this, again, we, the, the Polish election, we had the Slovenian Slovene. election, Slovakian, the Slovakian election, sorry, yeah. uh, and a pro-Russian uh, yeah, well, candidate won that. More of a populist feature, um, yeah. someone who can turn um, and also it looks as if, when it comes to coalition formation that that may moderate some of the policies um, which included sort of no more support for Ukraine so it's actually one we're not quite yeah. we, we're not quite certain just at the moment which way it would go but Mr Fitcher has shown in the past that he's quite capable of an ex- executing a U-turn. And so there's all this kind of you know chat in the background and analysis about a potential swing to the right in Europe and the European elections mm-hmm. next year. Certainly, uh, the right seem very well placed to do well uh, in a lot of countries. Uh, and you did, um, I mean, the UK conference this week, the Conservatives Party conference. Mm-hmm. Um, they look to be taking a leaf out of the Republican playbook, don't they, Absolutely. Julia? I just thought it was very... Also, just seeing um, Rishi Sunak being introduced by his wife, that's such a, an American trope, this sort of the first lady. And, I mean, one would have thought, considering her billionaire, multi-billionaire background, that that's maybe not the, where you want to draw attention to because the whole thing is that people aren't relating to Rishi Sunak because he is so wealthy and people, ordinary Britain, British people can't actually relate to him so yeah. we let the billionaire wife and say here he is it just it just felt very strange and 
Yeah, I mean, even the fact that they're betting on this anti-woke agenda, you know, a yeah. woman is a woman is a woman, a man is a man is a man. Yeah. They're, you know, we're cancelling HS2, but we're going to invest in local communities. We're going to free up business. We're going to cut taxes for the and wealthy. you see that, that woke argument happening so much in the British media as well, in the press. It's just you can see the newspapers setting out their stall and, and those certain directions. And it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's frightening, actually. I think it's There's also... There's a sense of things being made up, though, isn't there? As Victoria Derbyshire on Newsnight put to the... the oh, Victoria this Minister is Keir Starmer's meat tax that meat was tax never going to happen. And the yes. seven bends as well. And the 15-minute cities as well. I mean, yeah. there was loads of policy coming up where they were incredibly ropey. Yeah. So maybe it is something that a culture war... I mean, just once again, looking at the polls, it would seem to suggest that no matter what the Conservatives do, they're going to be gone. Um, barring Labour making some colossal cock up between now and then. So maybe all of what we saw over the past number of days was a sign of weakness. But, but if it isn't, say if it isn't, say if you can make things up uh, and even when they're challenged and that that does lead to something, that does lead to a recovery in the polls. I mean, what does that say for democracy? Well, look at Boris Johnson and the, you know, straight bananas and all of his... Yes. his I read an interesting piece, piece of analysis uh, recently that the big divide in UK politics at the moment is actually between older people and younger people. Yeah. And the Tory support is so f- skewed towards, you know, middle class, older voters. And they said the same thing for Brexit. The, it was the younger population who could see yeah. the advantage and the older population, which wasn't going to be moving around, didn't need to get a job and didn't mm-hmm. see the advantage of it, was saying, why yeah. not? No. Uh, let's come back home and let's come back to the budget. But let's talk about the budget outside the gates of Leinster House and this whole question of the policing of the budget because it's going to be the second Tuesday of rank and file uh, Garthi, uh not uh, taking part in voluntary overtime and on budget day with all the protests outside the door, um, we're being told we've an adequate policing plan. Is that right? Yeah, talk of six foot high barriers, isn't there? And that there will be guards deployed from other areas. Uh, so you won't have the overtime guards, but you'll have others and that, that, that it should be OK. But I suppose if that were to happen and the, and the budget does play out against that backdrop, well, then that would put a focus on the justice minister, wouldn't it, who has tried to play a fairly low-key role in all of this uh, and talking about a resolution having to take place in the background. is significant intervention, I thought, from the Taoiseach during the week when he said that the COVID roster, which the guards have at the moment, that that's not sustainable to keep that. But nor is the other one uh, that's being proposed. So, I mean, clearly trying to suggest there is a middle, there is a middle course here. And this is all due, these Tuesday protests on voluntary over, or Tuesday withdrawal of voluntary overtime, that continues throughout October and again you're building towards Halloween, Halloween. and other You imagine that Halloween would be a harder thing to police than, than Budget Day, which is quite centralised around Leinster House. You know, Halloween is always difficult. There are always issues with bonfires and illegal, I mean all fireworks are illegal in Ireland, but the, you know, that is a huge problem and if mm-hmm. you're talking about across the country, Halloween is getting bigger and bigger every year. It's so. also really risky from the guards' point of view. Mm-hmm. If it is case that they don't have enough adequate policing and something goes wrong you could have a a real shift in public opinion against Mm -hmm. them so I think that one that's risky. What about the politics all of this? Are opposition sensing that it's a good time to go for Justice Minister Helen McEntee on all these issues? Absolutely there's a sense that um, she should have intervened a long time ago and the suggestions have been broad about what Now she said it wouldn't be appropriate it's not her job to negotiate rosters. Yeah but the what the opposition is saying is you've known this has been coming for ages You've, you could see it and you're just sitting as a bystander watching the sort of the train about to hit the wall. Um, and so, once again, it, it's it's a difficult um, tightrope for the minister to walk. Um, she was getting it rough during the summer and she's getting it rough again. 
fierce loyalty, though, from Leo Varadkar towards Helen McEntee yesterday, saying, I know Helen McEntee since the days when she was a parliamentary assistant in here, and Helen McEntee wants the best. It's a kind of loyalty that you don't often hear from, from the Taoiseach, I think, in relation to colleagues. So that shows that it is fairly steadfast. But there's no doubt she's under pressure. She's under pressure too, I suppose, that other legal area, which isn't as contentious and certainly doesn't grab uh, the public's attention, but barristers downing tools, uh, which causes a problem for, for the administration mm-hmm. of justice. On a political charge, Michael Healy Ray making it yesterday, saying that if you take the number of guards, if you take their families and extend, you're talking about 200,000 people. And he was making the charge that what has happened will never be forgotten. If there are potentially 200,000 people out there uh, who are feeling uneasy uh, about Fine Gael off the back of that, well, then that clearly would suggest there would be a political consequence. But of course, there's no yeah. proof of that. But that shows the pressure. Yeah, and exactly. It's always thrown back at them. You say that you're the law and order party and the lawyers and the guards are walking away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing where there, one issue that there has been uh, more cross-party unanimity on is uh, the welcome for the Euro 28 Except for Eona Reardon now. He's not, he's not convinced. Oh, is he not? No, no, no. no. But this will take the focus off the deep problems in grassroots Irish football and really should we, should the country be bothered at all? Because uh, it's just a, a smokescreen. Now, others saying you can have both. You can you can have yeah, the big show yeah. and develop grassroots. He says Ireland is continually, um, or, or sort of um, some of its leaders are looking at the shiny new thing, yeah. rather than trying to ensure that if you're looking at local grounds, take for example that there's so many teams can't field under 14 girls because they don't have a changing room or they don't have a toilet or they don't have either. And that's where the focus of money should be going rather than some big jamboree. But Casement Park is not a shiny new thing. No. And redeveloping Casement Park is going to take Key an awful of, lot of money. Yeah. And unionists are um, certainly querying whether it's worth spending that money at a time when the North's public services are under the strain that they're, that they're saying, under. They're so, saying yes, but it was the DUP saying, yeah, great about the competition, but don't expect us to pour taxpayers' money into that place. But there will be money coming from... from from here, from this government, for that, won't yep. there? That's, and as well as that today, uh, Michal Martin saying that it, the, one of the key political priorities now is to ensure that all the host nations manage to qu- qualify or are guaranteed the right to qualify. So that's not guaranteed as things stand at the moment that you could have a game in Dublin and Ireland wouldn't be playing in it, the Republic of Ireland. Uh, so that that has to be sorted as well. like on the World Cup for the 2030, the Spain, Portugal and Morocco, all of them are going to qualify. Yeah, so that's yeah, three home yeah. teams. So the fact it's the it's the, the five here, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't there some proposition that the different countries on the two islands could all kind of play each other for a more limited number of places? <laughs> <laughs> You're doing that just out of badness, inventing stuff. <laughs> Anything to say, ole, ole, ole. (laughs) All right, that's it. That's all we have for you uh, this Thursday. We're going to uh, bring you a budget night special. Uh, Don't know quite what time, but it'll be sometime uh, on budget night when we know all the things that we've been speculating about today. Uh, So we'll talk to you again then. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Talk soon. Mm -hmm.